Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. We'll be right back to today's show. But before we do, I want to let you know that you can get a free copy of my first book, Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma, when you leave a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, either on desktop or on your phone. All you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, look up Think Unbroken, click follow in the top right, and then go and leave a review at the bottom. And when you leave that review, screenshot it and send it over to book.thinkunbroken.com where you can upload your contact and mailing information, and we will send you a free copy of this award-winning, best-selling book, absolutely free, including shipping. Just go to book.thinkunbroken.com to upload your screenshot review from Apple Podcasts for the Think Unbroken podcast. And until next time, my friend, be unbroken. I'll see you. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me 
and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Sometimes a single event can change everything in our lives. And unfortunately, sometimes that event can be so catastrophic that it leaves us stuck, lost, unsure of ourselves, destroys our confidence, and worse, we lose our identity to it. In today's episode of the podcast, I sit down with Katie Kessner, who's a highly sought after international expert on student safety, sexual misconduct, and healthy relationships. Katie is the first woman to speak out nationally and publicly as a victim of date rape at the age of 18. And Katie has been featured on the cover of Time Magazine, Oprah, NBC Nightly News, and more. Today, she has helped thousands of people worldwide in her foundation, Take Back the Night, which was created in 2009 and has been expanded to reach over 1,000 events in 40 countries. This conversation hit really home for me. As many of you may know, who have listened to the podcast before, I was a victim of molestation as a child. And those experiences and sexual abuse really took its toll on me. I found myself often lost, confused, and unsure about who I was, not only mentally, physically, and emotionally, but spiritually, and especially sexually. In this conversation with Katie, we take a deep dive not only into her experiences, and how she overcame a horrifying event, but more importantly, how she used that story to become the hero in her own journey. This conversation is difficult at times, and to be honest with you, when I first sat down with Katie, I felt a bit hesitant to dive in deep, knowing how hard it can be to have these kind of conversations. But she assured me she was willing to go in as deep as we needed in the hopes that it would help somebody listening today. So my hope, my friend, is that this conversation brings you not only support and guidance, but also community and knowing that if you did have a horrendous event, such as sexual molestation or date rape happen, that you know that you're not alone. Please do me a favor, leave a review for the Think Unbroken podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if it brings you value. And of course, check us out on YouTube at Think Unbroken Podcast. And without further ado, my friends, here's Katie Kessner. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. I'm very excited to be back with you with another episode with my guest, Katie Kessner. Katie, my friend, how are you? What is happening in your world today? Oh, great question, Michael. Every single day feels like a, a whirlwind tour of unpredicted, somewhat predicted, and always unknown, but always cause oriented. And I think focused on the finish line of, you know, where, what good can I do in the world today? So mm. that's about, that's about my life story every single day. I love that. I, I actually resonate with that a lot. And I have these moments where I'm looking at my life and I'm like, huh, really interesting to be in this place today. Um, <laughs> but before we jump in, for those who do not know you, tell us a little bit about you and how you got to where you are today. Um, I'm happy to do that, Michael, for sure. And, you know, I think, I think, you know, there's, there have been many movies kind of with that theme line of 
the the door that you opened unexpectedly and walked through or the sliding door of the choices we make and how they unfold and how all of the things, you know, bring us to a a, a a series of choices and and circumstances. And my life was um growing up from zero to eighteen, half in the south outside of Atlanta and half in the north in central Pennsylvania and going off to college at um, 18 to a college in Virginia and planning to double major in chemistry and Japanese. I wanted to be a chemical engineer and speak Japanese really well. And then the third weekend I'm at college, I am out on a date with Mr. Tall, dark, handsome, perfect in my, you know, fairy tale princess world. And it, that single night changed my life in the sense that I had no idea at age 18 that someone could be so deeply and intimately violated by another human who was someone you thought worthy of possibly love and definitely trust. And so I became, at age 18, the first woman in the world to speak out nationally and publicly, perhaps even internationally, as the victim of what was coined date rape by Time magazine. Uh, before my story, only victims of stranger rape had really spoken out, and very few victims of such sex crimes had ever revealed their names. And the media never printed them. And so I was the rogue 18-year-old a long time ago who signed my name to a release to have it printed. And not, it was never, I will say one thing, you know, the journey that has brought me to this microphone, it was never my intent to be on Oprah or meet, um, you know, all, all the people stand in front of a quarter of a million people in the mall in D.C. when Nicole Brown Simpson's murder was being protested or go to the United Nations and speak there or speak at Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford in 5,000 schools and like stand on Capitol Hill and testify for, for federal legis legislation. It was never a plan. But it was a decision that I made at 18 to formally report what happened to me as being wrong. And the word report, I think, is one that the current context, um, everyone says, oh, report all kinds of stuff, report bullying, report hazing, report, report all this stuff. But when I use the word report, Michael, at age 18, it was tell a story, <laughs> mm. meaning tell what happened, because report almost is a, a word, a verb that Im implies that you think it's a crime. And I didn't know if what happened to me was a crime, but I knew in my heart, my soul, it was wrong. And the only reason I came forward was I didn't want anyone to experience what happened to me. So I told what happened in the hope that not just he would be held accountable, but that other people would know that this should never happen to anyone. So I hope that gives some context to who I am and 
why I'm here. Yeah, it definitely does. And and I think at such a young age, it's incredibly admirable to be willing to go and and stand up for yourself, right? Which is really what I hear you saying happen in that moment. And and in that, I think by proxy, and this was kind of my experience as well, in us doing what we need for us, it actually helps so many other people and vice versa, right? Mm-hmm. What I'm curious about is as you look at your life now and you reflect on this now, having been a long time ago, you know, one of the things people ask me all the time, and I've actually never asked anyone this on this show before because I never felt it pertinent, but I'm I'm curious, do you feel like things happen for a reason? Because people ask me this all the time and they're like, oh man, you know, I know that your childhood was really bad, but it must've happened for a reason because look at all these people you could help. And I always think to myself, yeah, but I really would have rathered it didn't. <laughs> and so I'm really yeah. curious if you ever have any thoughts around that. I think the most akin question I get asked on the stage, Michael, to what you just posed, is someone will say, excuse me, Katie, um, don't you wish that you weren't raped so that you weren't on the cover of Time magazine? And I'll say, you know what? I would have hoped that I was going to be such a rock star, chemical engineer, Japanese savant and come up with something no one had ever thought of that I still would have been on the cover of Time magazine Mm. because I would have still been that committed and strong and visionary. However, to your point, I I do think everything happens for reasons and we're wired and gifted with experience and we're wired our biology wires us and i think we're all uniquely wired to be able to accomplish different things and it's our destiny to figure out what it is that we were wired to do and i think my ability to navigate harassment and all the things that I went through when I spoke out and, and being the first and, and, and subsequently pushed myself to go into nooks and crannies to share a story that a lot of people didn't want to hear, um, that made people uncomfortable or question whether I too, me too, I am also in your shoes for the first time acknowledging their own victimization in so many ways. Like, I think You know, I was gifted with experiences up until 18 that were also very challenging and forged in me commitment to a sense of justice, if that makes sense. It was a sense of self, Michael. It was a sense of do what is just, no matter the cost. Yeah, I I resonate with that. And and I, I often think to myself, there's this really interesting space we live in today where uh, I think we've course we've overcorrected to an extent. I totally agree. Right. And I and think I we've thi- way overcorrected. I think things are way too easy. Yeah. And way and I think I'm like toughen up. Like you and I, Michael, we are tough through fire and everything else. Hot coals, we'll walk on them. You know, walk through, breathe that fire thing. We gotcha. Because <laughs> we had to. We had, like, uh, you know, I was loving our interview, but literally, I didn't care if I had to sleep in the car to get to, through the snowstorm and pull over to get to the speech, or I didn't care if 
you know, I had to study on the plane to still get the A's to get through college because I didn't know if my parents were going to pay. And, you know, I just did what it took. And the harder it was, the more I thrived. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, and I think that a lot of people need more resiliency, especially right now. And, and it's hard because it's a conversation I don't think people really want to hear and hone yeah. into. We live in such a different world. Like I, I actually got canceled over the pandemic at the beginning of it because I was very clear. I was like, I'm not slowing my life down. I'm not doing anything that doesn't continue to project me forward. And people were like, yeah, but you know, the world is ending. I'm like, the world has always been ending. Like, I don't know if you know this or not. This isn't the first <laughs> bad thing to happen. And, and I, 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 I want to think about Going back, I want to rewind a little bit. Yeah, and, whatever. And the, and the reason why I want to do that is because I, I think about my journey in creating and building Think Unbroken as we're heading into six years of this. Mm -hmm. When I started this, even six years ago, nobody was talking about childhood trauma and abuse, right? Nobody was talking about it, especially in the way that I do. And I fought the slings and arrows of many, of friends, of peers, of some family members, of people being like, don't you share that? And me being like, I'm going to do what I want. It's my life. Right. And, and, and going through now where it's like, it's almost like if you're not crying off the internet, like, is anyone even taking you seriously? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I'm, I'm curious if you rewind, you go look back at the beginning of this journey and this decision you made to not only report, but to tell your story. Mo people are so terrified to share their truth because of shame, because of guilt, because of a lot of the ramifications that I've experienced, that you have experienced. And so I'm wondering if you can talk me through the thought process you had around going public with this and what that has done for you just in terms of being able to reconcile, if that's even the right word, the experience. Uh, let's not talk about reconciliation yet. I want to go to what you started with Michael. I like thinking about this first. If I had to even, you know, when we have to make a decision about what to do today, or what to do with information that comes our way, let's just roll back to me being 18 and navigating. Yes, I, I, I had a hearing. Yes, he was found responsible. Um, he was told, <laughs> the dean called me into his office and said, yes, um, I found him responsible because he admitted in my hearing that I had told him no more than 12 times in one night that night. And then he had said in the hearing, eventually Katie stopped saying no. So I knew I changed her mind. So he was found responsible by his own pretty much admission, Michael. But then the outcome was I found him guilty and he will not be allowed in your residence hall for the remainder of the semester. But I met with him earlier this morning and he really likes you a lot. Mm, and you should make such a nice couple. I think if you can just work through the tiff you're having now and get back together by the spring semester, it's going to be great. So I got a fire in my belly. And so let's think, what's a fire in one's belly? For each and every broken human, when is rock bottom? When is the fire ignited? And sometimes I think 
Michael, it's not when the injustice is experienced in our body, our mind, in present tense, in current moment. Sometimes it needs to sink in and someone needs to slap another layer of injustice upon injustice for mm-hmm. us in our head that, whoa, this is going to be wrong. And so I then got, I, I almost think sometimes, I'll, I'll go back and say, I think sometimes if the dean had been like, wow, that was so awful. I cannot even imagine what research. They didn't have any conversation back then. Like, oh my gosh, you should never have it. I'm so sorry we even let him into our college. You know, apologies on every front. How can we help you? No. <laughs> so I then got even more angry, which was good because whenever we have to make choices for some of those it's existence or non-existence. It's, it's almost close to like hurting oneself so much and, and falling into the depths of despair. But for some of us, we're on the margins where we have enough privilege or power or money or opportunity where it, it feels like, you know, do I really want to mess up my life to save a lot of other people's lives? Because mm-hmm. I'm kind of okay. And the weirdness about me, Michael, was this. It started with, nope, I decided to run off the cliff and take it all on. I was so fiercely determined around one experience in my life. So then let's go through it. So things like, how do I make choices every day? I'll just give you two examples and then roll it back to you. Here are things I I chose to do because information came my way. So once upon a time, I'm still a student. I have to decide what do I do with my Friday night? Okay, Friday night rolls around. And I've been volunteering as and trained as a rape crisis hotline runner. Like I, I, because I can sleep anyway, I was always awake because I'd already been traumatized from 11 to 7, I run the hotline. I answer all the calls in all of my college and surrounding community and help survivors all night long. So I kind of started taking track of keeping track of the ones that were reported for various locations, i.e. where I went to school for turning houses. (laughs) And so many had come in from one particular house that for my Friday night, I decided to print with 10 a dime a print like this is before like I used up paper tree I was environmentally unconscientious went to the library made my own hand-drawn flyer and it said do you really want to party at this house tonight when at least three women reported having been sexually assaulted here in the last week and I just wore my usual, I stood outside the fraternity house and handed them out to anyone who, I just kind of, I was like the flyer pusher, the annoying person who was like, take this flyer. And it was so fascinating. So that whole, I, and I did it by myself, Michael. I used, I had mm. no, because I didn't have any support anymore. Um, but I, I was so fiercely determined. Like I was, I was so practical that what if I could save one woman from getting raped tonight by, ha- by spending dimes at the library on the printer? I was like, okay, 
Operation Flyer. And I literally, so I'm handing them out for about an hour. And so imagine this, like classic fraternity, Southern college, Friday night party scene. The girls are dressed to the nines with short skirts still like going in um, to the houses. And I keep handing them out. And I, I'm curious, like they come in doubles. There, There's never one woman who shows up by herself. At that time, I think they're always in duos, trios, and quadruples of girls <laughs> going in. So I either have to like ready, got four ready, hand them all. And it's interesting, the queen bee, if there were four, would look at the handout. And she would tell basically with a nod of her head or like a, a crumble it up and throw it away, whatever her reaction was, the rest of the girls would do the same. Mm. And follow her or not. But so within an hour, <laughs> I got shut down. The police, the campus police showed up, Michael, to arrest me because I didn't have a flyer permit. And I was. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yes. So what happened was some of the girls who still went into the houses were like, okay, this girl is sending out this false information to try and deter women from going to this fraternity house so the they sent they sent the only female police officer on the staff at the time to come and talk to me because th remember this is after i've already had a few conversations and been on the cover of time magazine and hbo made a movie about me et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. like i'm already like rogue and renegade and most hated person ever and was voted such I was voted the most hated man on campus, which is a whole nother story. But anyway, I'll finish the story quickly. So here's what happens. I say, well, what does one, the police said, you're, you're going to have to disband, stop doing this and get a permit. So what do you think I did, Michael? I would imagine you got a permit. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I said, what does one need to do to get a permit to hand out flyers of public notices on school property. And I got a permit the next week and I kept handing them out. <laughs> but, but then I, I just, you know, that's me. Like, so my whole life, Michael, I have not really been very respectful of the rules other than I definitely try not to get arrested because that would kind of put a, that would stymie my effectiveness if I'm in jail. Yeah. It would yeah. just cut down my effectiveness a little bit. But I, you know, I think when you started the, the question with what does it mean to kind of be fearless and make these choices um, around survivorship or overcoming abuse, and sometimes, you know, you don't have to be as crazy as I am or have been and continue to be, but I do think we're so complacent so many times and especially now that we're, we're, we're all so saturated with social media that we think the only way to make a difference is to make a post and like something or follow something. And I'd say go rogue and old school and be a physical being in a physical world with a physical handout. <laughs> you know, people still walk around the planet and go in and out of buildings. And you'll catch a lot more and someone will show up and start being a, uh, you know, photograph you and put you on Instagram. But that's more 
all the staged, I, you already swore. I'll say crap. <laughs> all the staged crap. To me, like, go really authentic self to make change and to be authentic and have, you know, pride in yourself. So I'm yeah, sorry. I'm, Way long. Oh, no, no, no. Story. Well, I, you know, it's, I, don't be sorry. There's, and I also hold the record for the number of times has been said on a podcast. So don't you worry about that. You know, I, I, I think about that a lot and, you know, starting the movements through this space for me has been sitting and looking at it being like, all right, if I can do this, knowing my background and how absolutely crazy it was, right? then maybe there are some tools here that other people can use. And, mm-hmm. and I think to myself that it really starts with the willingness to face reality. You know, one of the things that I, I did very well in my late teens and 20s was to just dismantle reality through drugs, through alcohol, through sex, through all these coping mechanisms. And in this sense of sobriety, which I'm using in a literal term, like I went sober from everything but me and life. Mm. And, in, and in doing so, that's really where I started to gain the most healing for me. I know that there are people listening right now who have been through sexual assaults and molestations and rapes and a lot of the terrible things that happen in interactions. And, and I shared this as a guest on your show, like I was molested by a woman. So I'm in a very small minority of people in which that happens to, but I'm right. wondering what, what has healing looked like for you and, and what are the tools that you've executed that have worked really well for you and what hasn't worked for you? Um, you know, Michael, I'm glad you asked that because, you know, luckily you and I are doing, you know, our interviews with each other kind of back to back. And I, I loved that you, you know, quantified and maybe you have explained this to your own audience, your own quantification of number of hours and dollars spent and therapy and groups and, you know, committing in that way to your um, journey. And in some ways, I was listening to that part and thinking, I have been a nomad, a solo operation, a a woman on the moon, if you will. Um, and I'm thinking that you may have forged much better a sense of you're not alone in a real world way so you know and and my healing journey looked a lot different from what you described for yours and I think here's what I did try I did try going to a counselor (laughs) I tried a lot of them I tried when I was at Cornell I tried Cornell you know the caliber of the counselor, their degrees, their genders. I tried a lot of one-on-one therapy and I'm not saying it can't work, but for me, I think my own experience sometimes was not one that clicked or resonated, I'm, I'm searching for why they all failed. 
therapy one-on-one did not work for me. Here's what did work. Saturating my brain with every scrap of research that existed in the 90s, which was not that much, about sexual violence, about laws, about policies, like understanding the landscape intellectually through which my body and mind and heart were navigating my own abuse helped because I was thinking bigger, Michael. Like in my healing process, I was thinking, what are the institutions with with which I'm interacting? I, I didn't think about so much the people, although, you know, I just, I was, but to me, like, I'll go back to the frat story. It's not that I hated all fraternity men. It's just that there was, like, how can I affect change with that representation of a location of abuse? So my brain wrapped around my healing brain, my thriving brain, my survivor brain, wrapped around how big is this problem? How much of it can I understand on how many levels? And when I say levels, you know, it's almost like the Renaissance person. How is this being expressed or manifest or addressed through law, through government, through policy, through culture, through diversity, through international? How do other cultures and countries look at this? Who's not being heard? Who is being heard? I searched up, you know, what are the what, what are the word choices? I loved language. I was like, why are you using unwanted versus, you know, uncomfortable? What's the difference between unwanted and uncomfortable? What's the difference between seduction and coercion? What's the difference between force and forcible? What's, you know, I wanted to get that detailed. And so it satisfied my soul and my journey to feel like I was affecting change and where I thought the larger operating forces, institutions, cultures could be moved, changed, challenged. And I always, uh, I pause. I wish you could see me, but I'm so shy. You can't see me. And and I always, I always got myself in a half bit of trouble, Michael, because I was just a bit too fearless. Like I was always on the slightly good side of trouble, but if I had just been one tick or two to the other side, I would have gotten arrested or in trouble a lot more. And so I, I tried to affect change and that was my healing process was Every single, and I, I would tell you on an everyday basis, do you ask the question, like, how was my day? If I was on the road and I saw something, you know, at the hotel where I was staying when I was checking in, I'm the, I'm the jerk who's going to interrupt your evening to say, wait, did you just call that woman a blank? Or did you just say what I thought you said? Or I'm on the plane. I'm the one who, like one time I was diagonal from a man who was, um, looking, I had to look at his screen and his screen was full of naked women. 
been, you know, a, kind of a objectified pornographic. And I, I said to him, I said, I just don't want to look up because I can't just face down the whole time I'm, I'm on this plane and watch what you're watching. Like, I just don't want to look at naked women the whole flight for the next three hours. And I got into a brawl and, you know, the flight attendant finally said to the guy, like, do you have some sort of screen thing? But I'm the, I'm like an everyday, I think my healing is an everyday process of knowing that I stood up for justice. I said that word before, but Mm. I don't know. I think, I think, I think some of your listeners and some people will find healing through knowing they made a difference. Mm. You know, I agree with that. You have to, I, I just, and then you go ahead. But I think sometimes we're not ready to be that bold or we don't think we're ready. But I would yeah. challenge everybody just on one occasion, do something you've never done or said before in front of strangers and you'll be shocked if it's the right thing to do you might get thwarted protested told no but here's the cool thing about people is even if their immediate response is rejection rebuke harassment you know pushback abuse most of us, I believe in something. You asked about destiny and choices. I think most of us have a conscience and we're born probably good. And so I think even in the moment when people are awful, you just have to sit sit with knowing that I bet they're going to rethink. Just give yourself the benefit and the blessing and the hug to say, you know what? I know they didn't like what I said or did, but it was the right thing in my heart to do. And I bet they're going to rethink it. If it if it's not today, it might be tomorrow. It might be a year or two, one, two years when they have their own kid. You just have to sit with doing the right thing. So, sorry. Yeah. Next and question. What, what, else do, what else do we talk about? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I think in that, one of the things that happens also is you know, for me, I, I do not care if people like me or not. And I, I don't mean that in this nuanced sense of the people in my life, my friends, my relationships, my team, but, you know, people on social media, people in the world, because if I feel injustice, if I feel like something needs to be said, everyone who knows me knows I'm one of the most honest people that I can possibly ever be because I don't want to wonder what if I would have said something? What if I would have done something? What if this would have occurred? Because I think that's a a life unlived. But we face so much fear, right? And we get encompassed by it. And we get scared of the, the really, I guess the word I would use is the ramification of the actions, even in good, right? You know, you hear that old adage, no good deed goes unpunished. And I'm like, yes. And I think that a lot of the good deeds that we do start to change and shape the world. And the thing that I often sit in is looking at the truth of the reality that if you want to change the world, then you can, but you have to actually do something. And but I, and- I like, Michael, I like going back to what you just said, which is so cool. You said, I don't care if people like me. And that is the crux of your success. I, I mean, I'm sure they're, they're getting to know you better. There's a zillion reasons why you're successful. 
But the crux of being, I think, bold, being really comfortable with where we're going is saying, I have nothing to lose because I don't care about whether people like me or not. And I'll give you a, a specific example. A lot of people, including my own partner, will say things like, but everyone else is. Mm -hmm. But everyone does. Or when we get comfortable with where we are, it's our own demise, right? When we get comfortable enough to say the the sacrifice is just too much. If we tell ourselves the sacrifice of loss of income or liking or comfort or whatever it is, if we think that it's too much, the, the thing I'm, I'm saying, we're talking about things that aren't quantifiable most of the time. And the, the impact is unknown to the goodness, like how much good could come from. And I'm not saying that we can't learn from tragedy and error and mistakes. And I hope that we'll always look back as a humanity, like what have we done wrong? But I will say, I always say to my partner, which, you know, <laughs> I he, when he says, but everyone else says, I, I'll, I always do this, <laughs> Michael. I'm like, remember the part where I was on the cover of Time magazine as the first, the only, and no one had done before when I said, I don't care. And I signed my name to a public release, absconding with every sort of support system I may have been entitled to. I'm the original, I don't care what anyone thinks. Mm -hmm. I'm the original one who said like, nope, I just don't care. It's either jump off the cliff, I'm all in. And that's always kind of been me. <laughs> yeah, and I so love that. And that can be scary, right? But I think that you have to face that fear because as we're sitting here, now obviously it's a hypothetical, but I just go, hmm, if she would have kept this inside and never shared it and never went to the dean and never went to the school authorities and never had the conversations and never did the thing, not only is it the uh, the tens of thousands, if not millions of people that you've helped and empowered, but more importantly, it's like, where are you at in life? Are you on the streets, right? Are you doing mm -hmm. drugs to cope? Are you now in, you know, whatever that thing is in the chaos of life that happens when you right. carry this deep, dark secret with you forever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think that's one of the things that, that I hope people will hear from this is like the willingness to face the fear of <laughs> knowing that, well, I hate to use this old cliche, but the truth will set you free. Mm -hmm. And I also think, Michael, if we're successful with, you know, our discussion um, today for your listeners and whomever else we can empower, it's, it's, it's seeing what you, you said it also well. It's setting a vision and taking in all. You also said you studied. I wanted to learn. I wanted to understand. It's taking in the scope of any issue to the best. And and today, I think, you know, you and I are older and the next generation of incredible activists and who will help us get to another level of understanding of care for planet, care for humans, care for how do we create this new vision of science and technology. You know, I I kind of think the 
place where we sit right now is sometimes it feels more overwhelming than even when it was for you and I. And I think one thing we can gift, hopefully, is say it's not as overwhelming as you think. The plethora of data, at least we can sift through it faster and find more authentic, accurate sources and, and perhaps better connectivity with others around the entire planet, the global impact of technology to find others who are struggling and looking for, and two mind, two brilliant minds are always better than one. Three, you know, like it's just such a pleasure to think deeply and thoroughly with someone who can ask great questions and challenge us and say, here's what I've done with these, this narrative and these set of facts. And so I, you know, I think one thing I would ask your listeners to do, you know, don't think, don't think small, think big, but don't think big is over unachievable. (laughs) You know, I, you don't need 15 minutes of fame. You just need to try. (laughs) Yeah. You don't need to be on the stage at, you know, AGT, America's Got Talent. You just start trying. And if you're not on the stage, you still made a difference. And not everyone can be on the stage, but everyone can make a difference. I agree. And, and I don't think you need the stage. I don't think you need the social media. You don't need the podcast. You don't need the speaking. You don't need any of it. Like, I I think the most important thing is like, are you living in your truth? Like, are you being the authentic version of yourself? Are you saying and doing the things that you say that you're going to say and do, right? And I I think that's really the key. And and anyone who listens to the show for any period of time now, almost to five years, like they know, like, I want you to push yourself into discomfort. I want you to grow through struggle. I want you to empower yourself, to stand up on your own two feet, to stand up for yourself and to say, this is my truth. But, uh, you know, I I think people are often, again, coming back to that idea, terrified of it. And so what what I'm curious about and and knowing this in your life and this story, this conversation, so much media around you, so many things that you've done. If, If you were to give anybody one piece of advice, call it one, two or three things, if they've suffered through sexual abuse, if they suffered through any abuse, if they're just absolutely stuck in their lives because of the experiences that they've had, if you were to framework it in something tangible that they could take away, what is it that they could do right now to start changing their life? I, I think that's such an important question. I would, I would start with just the basics, you know, eating, exercise you have to start with square one square one is me you know I'll, I'll i'll tell you square one for me when i was in college even though i was still working really hard i was so scared of seeing my perpetrator at the cafeteria the only thing i did to eat was go across the street and buy a pint of ben and jerry's for dinner i think once upon a time you said your favorite food for dinner was chocolate cake i was eating a pint of cookie dough Benjerry's for dinner. Um, you know, that's, that's terrible. Um, so find step one is find some balance. And sometimes that's going to require a hiatus from 
the things that are too much right now. I just like, oh, I need a week break. Just take, even if you can only do a three-day break to get your life, like what's, sit down and analyze your everyday patterns. That's step one. And I say your sleep, your exercise, and your nutrition. That's, that's, that's like first step. Like, what am I doing wrong there? Or what am I doing, not wrong, but what am I doing to cope with my pain that's hurting those three basic needs? That's like, okay, on step one. Step two is I get, I need to make, I might need to make some changes and what are they and how do I operationalize them? But then let's go to the next sphere of self, right? Beyond the basics, then we need to interact with humans. Mm -hmm. We start with I. The second sphere is we, (laughs) you know, you and me. So who are the people around me that are also causing me harm, bringing me down, telling me I'm wrong, telling me I'm to blame, um, hurting me, and I need to extricate myself from harm, from humans. Mm -hmm. It could be my boss, like all of it. It's all mutable. It's all changeable. And that's really important. You're not going to thrive if you surround yourselves, even if it's your own family. You know, you have to make those hard choices. If it's hurting you and they won't change or it's out of their control, then that has to, you have to make that hard choice. Then we, when we get that sphere fixed, the third step is now I'm in a healthier way. What do I need to, to sustain and expand where I want to go? You know, sustain me. What do I need to do every day, every week? And then set those longer term goals. And what will help me feel fulfilled, sustained, and healed? You know, and it might be also the therapy or the the counselor, the groups or communities I can join, um, change of job. Like, I think you have to start with like those three things, Michael, to get where you want. Yeah, I love those. And and I totally agree. And I think a lot of that is about introspection and reflection and getting vastly honest with yourself. Okay, this conversation has been Absolutely incredible. Before I ask you my last question, can you please tell everyone where they can find you? Of course. Um, I think I've, I have several things to offer. You know, for survivors and supporters of any form of sexual abuse, trauma, violence, we, I am the executive director of the Take Back the Night Foundation. We are an international organization, the oldest and longest running cause and sexual violence in the world. And we have all kinds of ways to either participate in our events that are free. We have a global virtual on October, the last Thursday of October, the last Thursday of April. It's a one-hour empowering, amazing experience. So that's one thing. If you want to volunteer, help the foundation, go to takebackthenight.org, peruse the site, grab a t-shirt if you want to be like wearables, um, whatever you want to feel like you know, this is helping me. 
Um, I, of course, speak everywhere. If you belong to an organization and my story experience would be helpful, you can go to katiekessner.com and read about my journey and fill out a form. And finally, also, we I run the Dear Katie Survivor Stories podcast. And you can listen in as myself and my co-host usually are speaking with all kinds of incredibly um, powerful people, authors, experts, survivors from all around the world who share their journeys and experiences and tips um, on how they found strength and healing. So thank you, Michael, for having me and um, hopefully those are helpful. Yeah, of course. And we'll put those links in the show notes for the audience. My last question for you, my friend, what does it mean to you to be unbroken? Uh, great question. Always, Michael. I think being unbroken is, to me, that that theme that we've been talking about is resiliency. And it's a commitment to a self and a vision. And an everyday when you see it happening in an everyday moment that you know that you are capable of being the I pronoun, the action, the superhero, that you're capable of affecting positive change for yourself and others every single moment. And all of us have that innately inside ourselves. So no matter what is done to us or happens around us or the trauma or pandemic, you know, a whirlwind of, of bad things is always either happening or around the corner. And I think unbroken means like, I want to live. We only get so many days on the planet and use every single hour and minute to your best. So that's unbroken to me. Mm, brilliantly said, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. Unbroken Nation, thank you for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, share, tell a friend. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see ya. Thank you so much for listening to Think Unbroken. Please share this episode with someone who could use it and help us move forward in our mission of ending generational trauma in our lifetime. And if you would, please take five seconds to pop on iTunes or Spotify, hit that five star, leave a review. And you can also reach out to us on social at Michael Unbroken or at Think Unbroken. And of course, you can check out our YouTube channel at Think Unbroken. Thank you for being a part of Unbroken Nation, my friends. And until next time, be unbroken. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. 
and I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program.